0: I heard one firm sought you out for their lobby because they wanted to look like one of the big firms.
1: Yes, that's actually happened more than <laughs> once. I uh, got a call from London, and uh, we're opening a, a VC office on Sand Hill Road. And uh, everywhere we've gone, we've seen your landscapes and your cameraless images. Would you be willing to do our office? I'm Scott McGrew.
0: Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> There's a little bistro not far from Sand Hill Road called The Village Pub. In fact, it's right next door to the venture capital firm Defy Ventures. And it's a place where those who work in venture capital tend to find themselves for lunch, either in the main dining area or in the private boardroom. And in that boardroom, there are pictures on the wall of hills and trees. The pictures are hard to describe. They're almost like x-rays. Now, there's a very similar photograph in the lobby of Abingworth Life Sciences. Thank you for
2: calling the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. How can I help And
0: you? you'll notice one when you're at the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation or the Rosewood Hotel or the lobby of all kinds of venture firms on Sand Hill Road. And you start to think, I bet the same artist is behind all of these.
1: And that's you, Right. That's correct. And who are you? Well, I am Robert Bilteman. I was uh, raised in the town of Woodside back when most of the roads were dirt. Family moved there in 1954 and uh, grew up in the neighborhood and watched the birth of uh, Silicon Valley from the front seat.
0: This week on Sand Hill Road, inside the studio and darkroom of Robert Bilteman, longtime photographer who takes more than just a photograph— Wired Magazine called him the bizarre union between Georgia O'Keeffe and Dr. Frankenstein. Let's take the photograph of Boganvalia. You remember it? Yes. Obviously, you can't see it, but it's amazing. It's a picture of flowers, yes, but flowers like they've been blended with stained glass— with delicate halos around each leaf and petal. Halo. Describe
1: to me what that looks like, and and why you photographed it that way. Sure. And the first thing I would say about it, it's not actually a picture of. Uh, in the tradition of photography, uh, your eyes, uh, the camera is a substitute for your eyes perceiving something, and you have a way of recording it. These are actually the tracings of the energy and light. Uh, given by the plant. This, these images, Bougainvillea specifically, uh, is a camera, lens, and computer-free image. No cameras, no lenses, no computers. It's done here in the studio by taking a living plant, in this case, the Bougainvillea I planted 15 years ago outside our bedroom, uh, taking a section of it and placing it on an 8-by-10-inch piece of film Uh, passing high-voltage electricity through it, 80,000 volts of current, and then hand-painting the subject as it lays on the film with a fiber-optic probe about the size of a human hair.
0: So when you say energy, because at first that sounded kind of hippy-dippy,
1: right? Right. (laughs) Right. I'm talking talking 80,000 volts of electricity. (laughs) Yes, and every plant has a different kind of energy signature uh, as defined by what shows up on film uh, as a result of this high-voltage discharge from my hand-built Tesla coils. <laughs> this is my device here and all its glory, and all its Rube Goldberg glory.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try to describe it. It's two boxes that look sort of like a 1960s stereo. It's got a number of knobs on it, and then there's a glass plate that
1: has a, has a leaf on it. That's right. This is a piece of sheet metal that has a spark plug cable welded to the back of it identical to the spark plug cable under the hood of your car
0: when you see um you know a painting by hopper or jackson pollock you know them when you see them even if you know somebody who's not well versed in art can't exactly explain why they know oh i know that artist what am i looking for with your art where i can say yep robert did that
1: my work presents the stuff of life nature in a way that is reflective of the divinity that I see in nature. Uh, it was here before humans were. It will be here after we're gone, which may happen sooner than any of us ever expected. And that's what the work is about. You've been very successful
0: with your art. We're sitting in your very lovely home in a very well-organized, very well-equipped uh, studio. Um did you ever expect to be that successful? And is there ever a conflict between success and art?
1: Yes, there is. There's a great many of them. Uh, part of being successful in this world, uh, in a capitalist society, uh, mean requires uh, the earning of money, and uh, uh, at the in there, so there is tension. Uh, there's the starving artist syndrome. Uh, but for myself, that all changed. I've always made photographs for as long as I've been an adult. Uh, and I do it for the joy of it. But there was a moment where I recognized that it was all right to succeed, that I didn't need to suffer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not against suffering, but I'm for short suffering, not long suffering. <laughs> uh, and a lot of suffering is optional. And when I saw that a lot of my own suffering, uh, that I had a hand in it, I let go of that and decided to let the work, to give the work its own life. Even now, um, the work has a life above and beyond me. I feel like I'm a very small player in this and that it's the work that wanted to happen. It's achieved heights and levels of success, that if it were up to Rob Biltman, uh, it may never have attained. So part of it's just getting out of the way and letting the work find its own audience. That Robert had that particular
0: gift also caught the attention of legendary venture capitalist Bill Davidow, who
1: became Robert's patron. We had pretty much run out of money, and um, I had a client here to pick up work who quite by accident saw some of the first pieces of film— And uh, she introduced me uh, to Bill and Bill showed up to the book signing and he and his wife offered to support my family for a year. A man you had not met. A man I had not met so that I could pursue this vision, this dream. And, um, you know, it changed my life. It changed the way I show up for myself. And as every artist will tell you, That's where the rubber meets the road, who you are for yourself. That's what allows artists to continue to paint, to continue to sculpt when they're denied exhibitions and they're denied commercial success. It's their relationship with themselves and their love of their work. And that's what uh, my relationship with Bill and Sonia Davidow changed for me. And uh, they remain dear friends to this day.
0: It's not something you can pay back.
1: No, it's not. I, I have spent a lot of time uh, <laughs> these 20 years thinking, what can I do? And of course, ultimately, you realize that people are, who are kind to that degree, they're not doing it for any other reason than the joy of the generosity that they are
2: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It
0: is an interesting specialty you have because you're in lobbies of, of offices and venture capital firms up and down Sand Hill Road, Kleiner Perkins, Acell. Uh I heard one firm, and we don't have to name it necessarily, sought you out for their lobby because they wanted to look like one of the big firms.
1: Yes, that's actually happened more than once. <laughs> uh, got a call from London and uh, we're opening a, a VC office on Sand Hill Road, and uh, everywhere we've gone, we've seen your landscapes and your cameraless images. Would you be willing to do our office? And of course, uh, I think every artist dreams of that kind of opportunity because I can go in and say oh, for the lobby, we should do this because this is a welcoming image. And then in the CEO's office, we should do something edgy and write up the whole proposal and uh, they sign off on it. And, uh, you know, that's- So how did did that start? I mean, how did you become the venture capital office artist? That's a very good question. Um, You know, uh, in the 1970s, I started a business that did corporate- art installations of photography. At the time I was an employee of the image bank, which back in 1977 was the largest stock photography company in the world. So the company could say to me, well, we're, uh, for instance, American president lines and we ship all over the world. So we want something from Thailand and we want something from Hong Kong. And I could gather those images, present them, and then actually make the prints. What they didn't know at the time, uh, this was in my early to mid 20s, I didn't have the um, confidence in my work. So I would slip my slides in with these 20 slide sheets as we used to work uh, with film. uh, And I was amazed at how many times people picked my work um, from among the greatest photographers in the world. Uh, And it made me realize that I had a particular uh, gift for this. So that's where it started Office in the Ice House, selling corporate art uh, to companies in San Francisco. And it's just evolved since then. Uh, the, uh, uh, the other side of that is that having been raised in Woodside, uh, my first uh, serious job, I was a bag boy at Roberts of Woodside. And over the three or four years I was in college, uh, sorry, high school, Uh, I knew every single family in Woodside. So when my first monograph came out in 1995, The Unseen Peninsula, we sold 4,500 books in 11 months. Uh, Expensive books too, printed in Italy. Uh, It won awards all over the country. Uh, So uh, you simply cannot discount growing up in an area of affluence where people have the means and the desire to support art that celebrates my home, uh, the San Francisco Peninsula.
0: If you haven't seen the San Francisco Peninsula, the area between San Francisco and Silicon Valley, you may have the wrong picture in your head of what that part of California looks like. It's not like Los Angeles, a day's drive to the South. The high-tech hub of the world contains rolling hills and reservoirs and forests. Even Sand Hill Road becomes surprisingly rural. Drive west past and Horowitz and the Rosewood Hotel, and it's nothing but mountains after that, perfect for a nature photographer. Describe to somebody, again, who's listening to this in a different country, perhaps, what it looks like here the areas that you photograph, the areas around Woodside, the areas around Sand Hill Road?
1: Rolling Hills, Redwood Forests, uh, Oak Tree Grottoes. Uh, when we're lucky, Steelhead and the Creeks, uh, both on my side of the hill, I live on the coast, and also uh, the area where I grew up over the hill. Stanford's making great strides towards reintroducing uh, Steelhead to San Francisco Creek. Uh, so, you know, people that live here love nature. And so, uh, having been born here and having been the son of a man who grew up in the woods of Michigan and his first love was always the land, uh, it's fairly, it's fairly easy work, uh, to inspire people to, and encourage them to acquire my work and look at my books and, and so on.
0: A bit of irony or a bit of a cruel trick on nature uh, that it gave you Lyme disease.
1: Yes. Uh, You know, I'm 14 years into this now and now disabled. Uh, I still make all my own prints. I still go out in the field and shoot from time to time. Um, And I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, From 2007 through 2000. Eighteen, I was unable to work. Uh, And what I was talking about earlier, I wasn't waxing poetic about the work finding an audience. My work is what has allowed my wife and I to stay in this beautiful home uh, as I haven't been able to work full time in a very long time. And uh, I've had, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 tick bites in my life but apparently I got one in 2005 or six that went undetected and had five doctors that misdiagnosed my illness. And by the time they discovered what the cause was, the Lyme had gotten into my spinal column and brain and done some uh, significant damage. Um, There were many years where I thought about regret. Do I regret that? do I regret having spent 100 days a year?
0: That was going to be my question. Camped. Are you angry, yes, at nature? <laughs> Camped yes.
1: under the I was, stars. nature, I
0: was doing such a, a
1: good job of showing you off. That's right, yeah. that's right. But no, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I feel like at, uh, 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 now that I'm approaching 70, that I've uh, achieved the wisdom of someone older because I've had a lot of time to think about death and the despair that comes with losing your mental capacities. There was a time I couldn't recognize my own children. And uh, so life is very sweet for me now. Um, It was sweet before, but uh, now when I wake up in the morning, you know, what a blessing just to be here. And uh, for me, that's real power. The artist Robert Biltemann Whose work can be seen
0: in the lobbies of Kleiner Perkins, Acel, KKR, Stanford Medical Center, Genentech, Xerox Park, and many others. Robert mentioned the legendary venture capitalist Bill Davidow. In his retirement, Bill has been pondering the future of jobs and whether the government ought to pay Americans for work that, until now, went unpaid. Hold on, that sounds. Almost a bit socialist, which is funny coming from a famous venture capitalist. Well, all right, but here I am. I'm almost 85, and uh, suppose that uh, my kids spend a lot of time taking care of me as opposed to putting me in some uh, institutionalized home. Are they zero-economic value people because they did that? Dollars-wise? Yes. Yeah, they are. Value-wise, of course not. That conversation with Bill Davidow, pioneering venture capitalist, next week on Sand Hill Road. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.